You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No I thought to myself, I lived a pretty good life. But then I had to shake myself out of it. No, this isn't the way I go. You're listening to Houses on the Moon. Podcast. The unheard voice. Amplified. 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 Making a home for stories in uncharted space since 2001. This is Jeffrey Solomon, co-founder of Houses on the Moon Theater Company in New York City. In this episode of Houses on the Moon Podcast, we'll hear another true tale from Gun Country our storytelling workshops with people whose lives have been touched by guns. Antonius Wiriajaya was not yet 30 years old when a routine walk to the subway brought him face to face with his own mortality. In Luck of the Draw, Antonius recounts how art and storytelling helped him survive a shooting and how he was forever changed by the profound love and violence he encountered that day. After Antonius' story, We'll be joined by Carolyn Dixon of Where Do We Go From Here, an organization dedicated to helping families navigate grief and trauma in the wake of gun violence. I'll talk with Antonius and Carolyn about healing, art, and advocacy around gun violence in America. So stick around. And now here's Antonius Wiriajaya with Luck of the Draw. It was the day after Independence Day. I was walking to the Nostrand Avenue subway stop in bed One block from my apartment, I heard what I thought were fireworks. I saw smoke trails fly past me on both sides. I smelled burnt flesh and gunpowder. And when I looked down, I saw blood pouring out from my chest at the speed of my own heartbeat. It all happened so fast that I didn't even know where the bullets came from. And I didn't notice the pain at first. I got shot, I said. I dragged myself behind a stoop in case the shooter was still firing. Every breath I took felt like daggers were being stabbed into my chest. I used to work in a veteran affairs hospital and I remembered what the Vietnam vets told me about surviving from a gunshot wound. Apply pressure to the wound and stay upright because once you lay down, you bleed out. I put my hand right at the bullet hole and I applied pressure. I leaned against a brick wall and I tried to stay elevated. My legs gave in on me and I slid slowly down. Everything in me was telling me to go to sleep, but I kept telling myself to stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Sitting crouched, I looked up at the sky. It was so beautiful and sunny that day. 
What felt like minutes later, a magnificent figure entered my view, shrouded in light. I thought he was the Prophet Muhammad coming down to get me, and I thought to myself, oh shit, the Muslims were right. But it turned out he was a barber from my neighborhood, wearing a do-rag that I mistook for a turban. His name was John D. Morant. When John heard the noise, he knew they weren't fireworks, so he waited inside his barber shop. And when the coast was clear, he went out to look for survivors. He asked me, what do you taste? Iron or metal? No, I said, citrus, sweet. I was tasting the peach cobbler I made for a potluck the day before. The barber laughed. You're gonna make it. I found out later that he was asking if I tasted blood. If I did, it meant my vital organs were shot. If not, then that's a good sign. I lost the energy to hold pressure on my wound. John saw that and he put his hand over mine and pressed firmly. I noticed my blood running over his hand. I remember, despite the pain, feeling really vulnerable and embarrassed that I was bleeding all over this total stranger's hand. I learned later that John had experienced treating people with bullet wounds because he himself was shot when he was 14 years old. The bullet entered his chest on the right side. His wounds a mirror image of mine. Two more good Samaritans came to help. One was going to a job interview, but he decided to stop and he was fanning me with his resume. A woman asked if she could take my wallet out to see my ID, and she kept yelling at me, stay with me mister, the ambulance is coming, mister, you gotta stay awake. The police arrived and screamed to the people helping, you gotta get out of here, now. What do you mean, the woman said. He's dying, why aren't you helping? The cop said it was an active crime scene and threatened them with arrest, but my neighbors refused to leave and kept giving me first aid. Even at the risk of arrest, they didn't leave. Finally, the ambulance came. A nurse held my head up to make sure I was breathing. I stared into her eyes and I tried to stay awake the entire trip to Kings County Hospital, but it was so hard because falling asleep felt so incredibly peaceful. I started to think about the day before. I biked to the beach. I felt the ocean beneath my feet. I went out dancing with my friends, made out with somebody random. <laughs> I thought to myself, I lived a pretty good life. But then I had to shake myself out of it. No, this isn't the way I go. And at that moment I said out loud, I don't want to die. So I just kept my focus on the nurse's pupils to keep myself from being pulled away from this world. I felt the pain intensify. I realized, okay, at least the pain means I'm still alive. Then I threw up and started choking on my peach cobbler. He's not breathing, someone said. I woke up in the hospital four days later. A nurse explained that the shooter was aiming for a pregnant woman who was walking in front of me. He shot the woman twice in the leg. She fell, but he kept pulling the trigger and the next bullet hit me between the ribs on my left side. I was lucky though, it missed my heart by a mere inch. I know it's the weirdest thing to say, but waking up from that coma was the happiest moment of my life. The nurse let my mother in first. I love my mom. 
but the words she had said to me 12 years earlier when I was a teenager had always stayed with me. When she found out I was gay and an atheist, she kicked me out of the house and she said, if I had a gun I'd shoot you. When she was first told I was shot, she was misinformed that I was dead. Imagine driving five hours to a hospital thinking your son is gone. She stayed by my side for four days, barely sleeping. A priest visited my room every day, but she wouldn't let him give me my last rites. Despite her own religious beliefs, she respected my atheism and didn't let me go to my grave, blessed against my wishes. I realized then how much she loved me and how painful this was for her, so I started goofing around to make her feel better. I asked my mother to take a selfie with me, no mom can refuse a selfie. But back then she didn't have a phone with a front-facing camera, so she reached out with her phone, turned it around so the screen was facing away, and started counting one, two, three. And at the sound of three I laid back and I pulled my eyes back pretending I was dead. When she turned the phone around, she saw herself grinning wildly like she had won the lottery. And there I was, looking like a cadaver with tubes sticking out of my chest. She was pissed. In the beginning, it was so painful to get out of bed, I couldn't sit up. When they operated on me, they had to cut an incision from my chest down to my belly button. They split me open and took out all my organs to check on them. They took out my spleen because it was destroyed. They cut out the top part of my pancreas, they sewed my diaphragm back up, and they stapled my stomach. They had to squeeze every inch of intestine to make sure there were no holes. I was in deep pain, and my core muscles no longer worked. I told the doctor I only wished that when they closed me up, they could have at least shaped it to be a six-pack. At first, all I could do was wiggle my toes. The next day, I could lift my knees. The next, I stood up for a whole minute. When I was finally able to poop on my own, the entire hospital wing cheered me on. I never ever thought I would get a standing ovation for literally making shit. One day I said to one of the med students, Man, you guys must get a lot of business because I hear so many shootings around here. The resident and med student looked at each other. She said, uh, what shootings? And I said, you know, the ones outside. She acted very casually and went outside to get a supervisor. They came back together with a psychiatrist. It turns out that I was hearing gunshots that weren't actually there. I was diagnosed with PTSD. I'm grateful for the doctors because they got me the help I needed. When I left the hospital, I started blogging my recovery. I took a picture of my scars, wrote a short paragraph, and posted every day. Sometimes I pretended to be doing something that I wasn't allowed to do yet. Like, you can't really swim with open wounds. So I put on a swim cap and goggles and I mimed the freestyle stroke in the air. And I watched myself get better day by day. In the act of blogging, I redefined myself from being a patient to being a survivor. When I turned 30, I posted, Happy birthday to me! I actually made it! The news started calling and my family is very private and I respect their wishes. So I asked my mother, what do you think of me talking to the media? It would mean our names would be in the papers and attached forever to this tragedy. She looked me right in the eye and she told me, tell them everything. Don't let this happen again. I suddenly saw for the first time in a very long time that my mother was very proud of me.
I try to keep in touch with everyone who helped me recover, especially John the Barber. Less than a year after my shooting, he went away to see family and friends in South Carolina. I called him up while he was down there to check in and see when he was coming back to New York. I thought I had made a new friend. But a week later, I learned on Facebook that he had been killed. John was gunned down in South Carolina. The hero who saved my life was shot and killed. Sometimes I remember the moments before the shooting and question every choice I made. Why did I go outside? Why didn't I head back home when I realized I forgot my watch? Why did I go towards the A train instead of the G train? What's worse is the inevitable question every survivor ends up asking. Why did I survive? Why did I live through my shooting when others died? 108 gun-related deaths happen every day. Each one a person, each one has a story. John, the barber who saved my life, became one of those names. John was a hero. John was erased and has become a statistic. And I, out of pure luck, did not. That was Antonius Wiriajaya with his story, Luck of the Draw. Coming up, I'll talk to Antonius about his story with Carolyn Dixon from Where Do We Go From Here? This is Houses on the Moon podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Houses on the Moon podcast. I'm Jeffrey Solomon. Antonius, your story moves me so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm so sorry you had to go through everything you described in the story, but I'm so grateful that you decided to tell it so we can all understand the human dimension of gun violence. I have with us Carolyn Dixon. She founded and leads Where Do We Go From Here, an organization dedicated to helping families impacted by gun violence heal emotionally. Hi, Carolyn. Love and blessings. Antonius, how did the experience of being a victim and a survivor of gun violence change you? I think it was the worst thing that happened to me, but also the best worst thing that could have happened to me. Because I think I lived a very privileged life, despite um, everything. I remember thinking, out of everybody here, I have insurance, you know, I have a family that came in and helped me out. My job didn't 
fire me just because I got shot. And uh, it changed my perspective on where uh, people are in this universe and how important it is to uh, enjoy what you have. But more importantly, also to be aware that not everybody else is so lucky. And how do you think it changed your mom? So my mother became quite um, vocal about gun violence prevention. She's done moms and men action things, you know, and she's been very active. What really struck me the most was, um, unfortunately, after the Pulse shooting, she was really hurt. And I think I understand why. It's because um, the, the people who were killed in the Pulse shooting, the 49 victims, they could have been me. I could have been them. And she knew that they looked like people that like were my friends, you know. And uh, I asked her how she was feeling, and she said upset. And I told her, hey, did you know that um, during the Gay Pride Parade this year, the people are going to uh, uh, protest a bit. They're going to um, march for the 49 victims. And she immediately said, I'm coming to New York. <laughs> and my mother, who kicked me out when I was 17 for being gay, marched with me in the Gay Pride Parade uh, 20 years later. <laughs> I think that's quite... Uh, change. <laughs> and Tony, you're a visual and performing artist, and you responded to your trauma by doing this daily blog you describe in your story. And you also chose to develop and tell your story publicly with our Gun Country storytelling workshops. Why? How important was making art in your recovery? Making art was the only thing keeping me um, going. It was the act of having to get up every day knowing I'm going to have to take this photograph. And back then, it took all my energy. It took everything I had to get out of bed, turn on a camera, press, you know, record or pause or, or um, press uh, the button, the shutter button, and walk as far as I could to get to the part where the camera can see me. It took all my strength. So part of it is um, that. It was motivational. And the second part of it is also because when a person gets shot, it's not just that person. Everybody around them who knows about them and feels it. It's, it's, um, it becomes like a traumatic experience for everybody you know. So because my blog was public, everybody could see how I was developing, how I was healing every day. And it was all out there. And I think they worried less and less about me because of that. Thank you so much. Carolyn, can you talk about your journey creating? Where do we go from here? Why did you create your organization and how? When my son Daryl was murdered May 5th, 2014 in front of me over a parking incident, I remember being in the precinct, asking my mother, where do we go from here? And she said, you live. And to myself, I'm trying to understand how do you live through something like this? You didn't teach me how to live through something like this. So I began to work with an organization called Life Camp with Erica Ford. And she grabs me and wouldn't let go. She was teaching me things that I never even knew of that was myths. Black people don't believe in meditation. But that's what she gave to me. 
I used to have nightmares every day of seeing my son being murdered because once again, I was there. And when I went into this meditation, the deep meditation, I finally gave in. I saw what I was doing in my nightmares. The guilt of not being able to save my son. I was trying to figure out in my nightmares, what can I have done differently? So through my trauma and even suicidal thoughts of not wanting to live without my son, who was my best friend, I had to learn how to live with the pain, the loss, the murder of my son and not retaliate. So once I understood what I was going through, I said to myself, organizations are not paying attention to survivors. We need help. I said my focus has to be towards survivors because that is the new me. And that's how I came about. Where do we go from here? Thank you so much. How do you manage survivor's guilt? I guess that's a question for both of you. I don't think it's a thing you manage. I think it's a thing you live with and it becomes you. I think actually what Miss Carolyn was saying is um, it's not guilt. It's, it's, it's you. It's a part of you. It's part of your history. It becomes an essence of you. I will never forget it. And I don't think that's a bad thing anymore. It actually forces me to remember every single morning when I wake up, what am I going to do today that'll make this world a better place? Because <laughs> the opposite, the opposite hurts. <laughs> I don't know if that's true with you, Miss Carolyn, but I wake up thinking like, oh, I better do something good today because if anything bad happens, it's my fault. <laughs> Antonios, I really agree with you on that one. Um, the biggest problem in doing this work, a lot of people say, Ms. Dixon, you need to turn your phone off. Don't answer your phone all the time. I can't do it because of the guilt. I had a mother call me one day. It had to be about one o'clock in the morning. She was in the train station. She was ready to jump on the train tracks. Oh, no. This mother lost two sons in Far Rockaway blocks apart. And I had to, you know, multitask and get someone down there with her to make sure nothing happened. I kept her on the phone. And I said to myself, you know, what if I had not answered my phone? So that's where my guilt lies. I cannot deny a phone call regardless to what time of the evening or morning it is. I answer my phone 24-7. So that's where my guilt lies. And people don't understand that this is something that we will go through for the rest of our lives. What would the both of you want from folks who have not been touched by this yet, by the gun violence epidemic in America? What, what would you want from us? How can we help you share this burden? I guess my big uh, reminder of people is we don't have to live like this. This isn't the norm. It shouldn't be the norm. We shouldn't be living like our streets are uh, going into war, you know. This is not something we have to live by. Uh, we can create uh, background checks. We can enforce the background checks. We can um, reinforce a ban on assault weapons. 
we can bring in laws like the red flag laws, where you know somebody has been violent, then we can remove their guns for them temporarily. We can also uh, look at it from uh, the way that uh, the statistics show, for example, people who have shown previous histories of domestic violence are more than likely to do it again. And when there is a weapon, then they will be using that weapon. So we can go after and, and focus on people like that too and make sure that they are not armed so uh, that their partners wouldn't be hurt. And um, all these things are possible. And not only are these things possible, but um, they're ethical. Because when you think about how much little effort it takes to just save one person, <laughs> that one person's worth it. <laughs> Carolyn, do you want to add anything to that? Yes, I get very angry and very frustrated. Because, you know, you, and, and I hate to always say that racism plays a part in certain things, but it does. And I become very aggravated when you're trying to tell people that we are losing so many lives in the black and brown community and there's no care. There's no care. The only time they feel concern is if it's a mass shooting. We have mass shootings every single day. Every hour on the hour in different boroughs. But there's no concern. And I look at the Democrats and the Republicans as the Crips and the Bloods. You know, put your flags down, man. Put your flags down and find a solution to what's going on. I want to see them work harder on trafficking of illegal guns that are coming into our community. We're not saying we want to take your guns. We're saying stop the trafficking of illegal guns in the black and brown communities because we do not have a gun store in Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, or Staten Island. So that's what I wish everyone would do is to fight and push forward for bills for trafficking. Can you talk about the experience of crafting your narrative and telling it publicly with the Gun Country storytelling program from Houses on the Moon? Going on stage was quite cathartic. <laughs> it made me feel like it was like um, it, it was like I'm, I'm finally expressing something that needed to be expressed that was being held back inside of me, that was welling up inside of me. So I really appreciate that. I don't know how it was as a performance, but as somebody who performed it, I'm glad that I was able to express that when I could. I witnessed someone taking power and being empowered in a situation that could be quite powerless. And uh, it was really inspiring and, and beautiful. And, and I have to say, I feel that way about both of you, to, to walk in the world as you do and to insist on loving and making change and, and helping um, is a guide for all of us. So, so thank you, Carolyn and Antonius. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Miss Carolyn. I love you, baby. Oh, I love you too. Don't give up. Never. Stand tall, man. Stand tall. To seek support, learn more, or take action around gun violence, please visit housesonthemoon.org and click on the Gun Country link. 
Antonius Wiriajaya is a multimedia artist based in New York City. He is a former Fulbright U.S. scholar in Indonesia and currently teaches at the borough of Manhattan Community College. He was selected by the New York Times as one of five art accounts to follow on Instagram now. Carolyn Dixon is the founder and CEO of Where Do We Go From Here, aimed at improving the mental health of families affected by gun violence. She was a counselor at Life Camp Incorporated and received training at the New School. She's a tireless advocate for black and brown communities in the battle against gun violence. Visit Where Do We Go From Here Incorporated on Facebook for more information. The Houses on the Moon podcast is produced by Will Coley. Original music is by Raleigh J. Neal II. Special thanks to the Lane Key Family Foundation and to the Broadway Podcast Network for making this program possible. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help us amplify these amazing voices. You can learn more about Houses on the Moon by visiting us at housesonthemoon.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you want to get in touch directly, we'd love to hear from you at podcast at housesonthemoon.org. The artistic director of Houses on the Moon Theater Company is Emily Joy Weiner. Our managing director is Kevin Connor. I'm your host and creative director, Jeffrey Solomon. Thanks for listening, everyone, and keep your ear to the ground. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.